From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Constitutional carry is moving in Ohio. David Chipman loses his bid to head up the ATF. The ATF is also going through a payroll scandal. Democrats are trying to take guns away from military members, and multiple courts have ruled that bump stocks are not machine guns. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by John Weber, State Director with NRA ILA. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. Great to be back. So uh, we were talking right before the podcast, and you were saying that you've got a bit of a, a roof problem. So what's going on? Well, you know, we had a big hurricane come through here. Uh, I'm based in Virginia, where NRA headquarters is, and uh Heard a nice log hit my roof and roll down, and uh, next thing I know, I've got water streaming out of the exhaust fan in the bathroom. A log? How does a log hit your roof? You mean a tree fell? Or? Uh, a tree branch, but I mean, it was like an old rotten piece of tree, and when I found it out in the yard, it looked like a log that you'd put in your fire, like a Yule log, just a nice big trunk of branch without any leaves or anything, just smacked and rolled down the side of my house, and um, yeah, now it's going to cost me a penny or two. You, you just have maybe a neighbor who hates you and came out and decided to throw a log at you? You know, his house is taller than mine, so I guess he could have done that. Um, but if I've upset him, it's uh, purely accidental. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to redo my roof, what was it, a couple years ago, three years ago? Because my house was the only house in the neighborhood that had not taken advantage of a hailstorm that happened years ago. You know, it hails, you call your insurance agent, and they'll pay to redo your roof. Well, the, the, the dummy who lived in our house previously didn't do that, so left it to me to pay out of pocket for a roof. And, and it wasn't enough, you know, for the insurance to get involved, because if it doesn't hail or there's not some issue, they won't do it. That, that's just considered upkeep. So it was like, you know, $20,000 to repair the roof uh, because the whole thing needed ripped off. Uh, you know, we have some windows in the roof and all of that needed redone. And it was just a complete mess. And of course they destroyed everything in the yard at the same time. So well, yeah, I bet the $20,000 of the roof was like compounded by your landscaping fees afterwards. Well, yeah. And, and then I had to also deal with the attic because, uh, you know, there's insulation up there, but I found at about the same time that we had critters in the attic. So we had mice, we had rats, we had a starling nest up there. We had all this stuff going on, and the solution was, you know, and once the guy showed me the photos, it was really nasty. It was very nasty. So, that, you know, I guess what they do is they, you know, put a tube up there, they suck it all out, everything gets ground up. So all the mice, you know, get oh. ground up, and they put it into a truck outside, and then they just replace all the insulation, just blow in new insulation. I'm, I'm glad I had it done, but that was an expensive summer. Oh, I bet that was. All because one guy before you was too lazy to make a phone call and then pass the buck to you, huh? Yeah, yeah, seriously. 
because I'd, I'd been riding it out as long as possible. I had in a closet, I had a light and there was a little globe, you know, covering the light. And when it would rain, the globe would literally fill up with water. So like a dummy, I was like, well, you know, it's only a problem when it rains. Right. So if it's not raining, it's not a problem. But eventually it did become a problem. So I just I just had to kind of bear down and and finally fix it. Roofs. You, you can't really ignore them too long. Well, it seemed like it was fine with the globe. You had a whole water catchment system and everything set up. Yeah, man, I could tell how much I could measure, and I could see exactly how much it rained. You're like, oh, we got an inch and a half of rain. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, – I, I, I should have dealt with that immediately. But you know how it goes. You kind of get used to issues like that. But uh, now it's all fixed now. Now I'm dealing with a refrigerator. Got, you know, water in the refrigerator. It's freezing. So that's a pretty – I know what's wrong with that. That just That's just me – having to spend a Saturday afternoon pulling the refrigerator out and replacing a couple parts. So that's, that's not as bad as a roof. No, no, that's a heck of a lot better. A Saturday versus uh, you know, the price of a Honda. (laughs) Yeah. So John, um, last time we saw you, we were both down at the state house in Ohio and you were testifying for constitutional carry. I thought that went really well. How did you feel about that? I agree. I think it went very well. It was a very productive hearing. You know, I think we had some great witnesses from BFA and myself at NRA, some former law enforcement officials and some other people come in and kind of explain in a lot of different ways what constitutional carry is, what it isn't, because as we both know, there are a great deal of misconceptions uh, pushed about this kind of legislation and kind of walk through some of um, what has happened in the 21 other states that have this policy and and just lay that all out for everyone. And we had a good discussion about all those things. The committee was very receptive. We had smart, reasonable questions, and we were able to provide answers to all those in a very satisfactory way, I think. Of course, we're wanting to do this this year, I mean, a lot of a lot of times these bills go to lame duck to the second year of our legislative session, but next year's an election year. We really don't want to push this till next year, so we're trying really hard, and I know that you and Rob have been meeting with legislators and trying to line up all the support we're going to need to try to get this passed this year. What's your assessment of that? I am as optimistic as I've ever been that we will not end up in a lame duck like we have in the past. Um, That generally is what happens. We don't enjoy it, but it's been a a tool that's been used and it's gotten some things done. You were able to remove the duty to retreat under that um, system last year. But this year, as you said, it's different. We have an election year next year, not just an election year. We have new maps coming up. So there's a great deal of unknown. And this is an issue that we and Buckeye have been pushing for years. We feel the time's as good as uh, ever right now. And the other thing outside of just politics and elections is other than people's rights, we also have the very practical concern here of delays and permit issuing and lags that have continued due to COVID. And that's something that is not abating and this would address it as fast as anything would. So we are getting a real appetite in the legislature. They understand these problems and uh, we feel reasonably confident that we're going to be able to move this thing uh, quickly. One of the concerns that has been expressed by some of the Republicans is what happens to training when you have a constitutional carry? Now, we've seen in other states that in some cases, training actually increases when you have more people who are able to carry and they don't have to go through the whole licensing 
process. What What's your take on that? Do you think that, because uh, I think the fear is, and, and I got to be honest, I think a lot of trainers out there are not supporting constitutional carry because they're saying it's going to affect their pocketbook. You know, we're not looking at it from that perspective because it's all about rights. So we've got to fight for people's rights and not worry as much about people's pocketbooks. But what, what's your take? It, it is all about people's rights. And, you know, further from that, I know they enjoy what they have, but they shouldn't have a mandated market of people that have to seek their services. So that's another issue. But we've seen throughout the country, as gun sales have hit records during COVID, we've seen a proportional rise in demand for firearms training classes, whether that be concealed carry or your firearm safety type classes, because we find statistically and anecdotally that your law-abiding, responsible gun owner, especially first-timers, if you come home with a firearm, you realize that you have a great responsibility with this right. And people take that seriously. And due to that, they go out and they seek training without being mandated to do so, whether it's a firearm safety class or a concealed carry class. And we've also seen here, specific to constitutional carry, in some of the states that have passed it, notably Wyoming and a Arizona, which are the two states we have uh, five years of data, both on the front and back end for, they've both seen increases in their concealed carry permit issuance after the passage of constitutional carry. In the case of Wyoming, up over 14%. In the case of Arizona, up over 40%. And I think that's um, an exact result of people seeing that this is available to them, availing themselves of constitutional carry, but also brings them kind of into the fold of gun culture. And they start to think about this when they see the news, some of the violence, the riots, the handcuffing of police, they want to have a firearm. They want to know how to use a firearm. And once they've decided to carry one, they realize, well, what if I want to carry one, if I leave this state and then they go out and seek that uh, concealed carry permit for reciprocity purposes. Yeah. And that's the thing that I, I'm not sure has really gotten through. We're not, here in Ohio, we're not trying to eliminate the license. We're actually keeping the license. And I, I've been referring to this as license optional carry. I think that's a little more accurate. You can you would be able to carry with or without a license. And if you travel, I've got family in other states, so I want that license so that I can continue to carry in, in the other states that require a license. So for that reason alone, the license is going to remain. It's sort of like the Alaska uh, system, you know, where you can carry without or you can carry with. It's it's your choice. It's optional. The other thing, and I think you touched on this, is that when you have constitutional carry, more people would be able to carry because there's a certain number of people who don't want to. They just don't want to jump through the hoops and, you know, do the one or two days of training, pay the fees, do the background check and then all of that, which takes time. And when you increase the audience, that's going to increase the number of people who could get training. And I, I think people aren't paying attention to that. Just more people, I think, will want training. That's absolutely what we've seen. I think you're exactly right. You know, when it becomes something that people are aware of, that's an avenue they want to pursue and they're responsible. The reciprocity is a huge thing for a lot of people. You want to be covered and you want to be responsible and you want to carry in a way that, you know, you're not going to shoot yourself in the leg. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a, that's always a bad day. What about other states? I know that 21 other states have constitutional carry, including our neighbors, West Virginia and Kentucky. 
seems to be working there. Are there other states that are trying to push this through? There's quite a few other states where it's moving. Ohio is, uh, of course, one. Indiana, we got it through the House in Indiana last year with 65 votes, so 65 out of 100 strong passage in the House in Indiana. It's stalled out in uh, the Senate where a Senate chairman particularly did not want to bring the bill up for a hearing, which, of course, we were disappointed about, but we're going to be back next year taking a run at it in Indiana. It passed in Louisiana, but was vetoed by the governor. So it's not happening there, but it'll be reintroduced next year. And of course, we recently got it done in Utah, Montana, Tennessee. It's um, it's a growing movement. It's in you know 21 states right now. We're hoping to make uh, Ohio 22. And it's just the same extension of what you actually already have right now. You have constitutional open carry, and we're just trying to allow people to wear a jacket. Right. That's what it comes down to. Is it covered or uncovered? Uh, it's, it's, um, uh, we were talking to Senator Johnson, and I said, um, you know, this is really a small change in the law. It's not a big change. It's a small change with a big effect, though. And it really doesn't make any sense that you can carry openly pretty much anywhere with no training, no license, no nothing. But you put your shirt over it and suddenly you're breaking the law if you don't have a license. It makes no sense. Put a shirt over it or if uh, you're put it in a bag, if you're a female, put it in a purse. You know, you're trying to be comfortable and discreet. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, business owners, you know, appreciate that you people conceal rather than open carry. But either choice is your right. But a choice of garment shouldn't necessarily require all of these hoops to jump through and not just, you know, hoops, but fees, fees that are meaningful to a lot of people. It's not a small amount of money and it's not a small amount of time to invest when you combine in the fingerprinting and all the classes and training as well. Well, then the fees, people will talk about the fee for the license, but then you've got to take the classes. You have to, uh, you know, there's transportation, uh, depending on how far you have to go, especially now you might have to go to a neighboring County. So you've got some gas, gas prices are going up. And, you know, all of this stuff adds up and it could be $150, $200, something like that, maybe more, depending on what class you take. And that's not insignificant for some people. No, especially, um, you know, lower income people, older people on fixed incomes. This is serious. It's a serious amount of money, especially when you factor in. They also have to buy a firearm. And uh, it's not cheap to train these days. As we all know, ammo is quite expensive as well. So there's a lot of costs that add up very quickly to a large amount of money that is falling on people that are not prohibited, that are legal, law-abiding, and just want to exercise a right. So apart from constitutional carry, another big story in the news is David Chipman. He doesn't seem to want to go away. We've... um, We've been following that. You know, this was the guy that Biden nominated to head up the ATF. Well, it turns out he's a big old gun control guy, worked for the Giffords organization, and has actually called for guns to be banned. So, you know, this is a weird guy to put in charge of the ATF. His nomination was put up for comment and got a lot of comments. I didn't look at how many comments, but it, I mean, was it like over 100,000? What was the count? I don't know the final number. It was a tsunami, though. There are a lot of people that had problems with this. I mean, to your point, the guy wants to ban certain weapons. And then when he was asked what those weapons are and to define them, he couldn't answer the question. 
and this is the guy that wants to run the agency, yeah. can't define what it is he wants to ban. All he knows is he wants to take it out of your hands. So then his nomination was withdrawn, but he's still in the news kind of uh, complaining about that. And my understanding is he went back to Giffords. So he's back to gun control now. Well, yeah, of course he is. He's got to get a paycheck somewhere, right? They promised him a nice spot in the administration. So I think he's unhappy that um, his gun lobby, his former employer, wasn't able to push him over the finish line. And now he's back there complaining about it and you know asking for his job back. So is there anything else going on with the uh, ATF other than our buddy David Chipman? Well, they've got a number of problems over at the ATF, and they have for a while, whether it's trying to legislate through regulations or the latest this week, uh, a whistleblower came out and says that the ATF has paid uh, over 90 employees millions of dollars in unearned compensation. So they were paying people in administrative jobs, so people answering the phone, sitting at a desk from nine to five, just doing the government work. They were paying them a law enforcement availability bonus, which was reserved for people who were doing criminal investigations and who were on call and expected to work on scheduled and additional hours. And the pay boost for such a thing was up to 25%. So if you're making a hundred grand as a sitting behind a desk at the ATF, they just do a little paperwork. Now you're making 125 grand. Wow, that's 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 a pretty nice raise. Yeah, that's significant. Wouldn't mind one bit. It's uh, that's actually a raise that's enough to keep up with inflation. <laughs> yeah, and then some. So the ATF is uh, is really screwed up. Anything yeah, else and, going on? Well, uh, in the federal side, since we're on that topic, you know, I think a lot of people recently saw that the uh, National Defense Authorization Act moving its way through uh, the House and Senate up there had a few anti-gun provisions put into it that uh, we're working on the federal side to address right now. But one of them, probably the most egregious one of them that I think people probably heard referred to as a red flag law being in the NDAA. And uh, that's essentially what it is. Representative Jackie Speer of California wants to change the military justice system. So this will apply to our soldiers, the people that defend us and keep us safe. She wants to change their justice system to allow ex parte orders to disarm them and lead to the confiscation of their weapons without them being given a chance to defend themselves or present their side of a thing. And that's what they're trying to do to the people that keep us safe. And, and this is a budget bill, right? This is how they fund the national defense. This is the Pentagon. This is everything. This is how this is the one legitimate form of government in many people's minds is, um, is our self-defense and the Democrats are trying to throw politics and gun confiscation and targeted at the very people who keep us safe into the bill and something that is generally supported by people. It's a political move. They understand that Republicans generally strong on defense are going to be put in a box on this kind of a thing and be like, are you going to fund the country or are you going to disarm soldiers? Um, it's political. It's disgusting what they're doing, but it shows that there isn't a, a dirty trick they won't play if they can do it. And was there another part to this, uh, apart from the trying to disarm military, was there something in there about imports? There is something in there on imports. Uh, that's a little um, 
in the weeds there, but Norma Torres from also from California, go figure, would undo two parts of um, some export reform regulations that were put in place by the Trump administration. Those regulations were designed to enhance the competitiveness of companies in America in terms of firearms and ammunition sectors. It removed burdens on gunsmiths, including some government registration fees and smaller businesses uh, that really weren't engaged in these larger military style things. Basically, she's trying to make small arms, gunsmiths, and little shops fall kind of under the same scrutiny from the federal government that somebody would have if they were selling military arms to another nation. It seems to be what she's kind of going for here. So they're pushing everything they possibly can to put the screws to us uh, any way they can. And that that amendment barely passed, too. That was 215 to 213. And that would allow them to pretty much inject politics into what's normally administrative exercises. Subject matter experts normally deal with these kinds of things. And this is just going to add a lot of delays and costs and legal transactions to people involved in the firearms industry. And that's just another example of them trying to squeeze your money, squeeze your business, squeeze you any way you can to dissuade you from exercising a right. Yeah, I I think that's what's behind a lot of it because it seems like some people want to pass legislation just to pass legislation. They're just screwing with us. I mean, when you get right down to it, because they, they don't really believe in what they're doing, they'll just pass whatever they can pass. So it, it's pure politics. Now, I, John, I, I read um, a story recently, and we ran a story on the website about bump stocks. And there have been a couple rulings saying that, no, they're not actually machine guns. And this is sort of another ATF issue because they had come out and said, well, bump stocks are machine guns. And um, recently a court said, uh, no, they're not. So what's, what's going on with bump stocks? Well, bump stocks, there have been a number of challenges brought to the bump stock issue around the country. Currently, uh, the Fifth Circuit in Texas is looking at this uh, and they're going to take a good long look at it and hopefully come to the conclusion that if you plain reading of the law, this is not within the ability of ATF to do. It's another shortcut of legislators not willing to do their job and trying to legislate through agencies. So we got a ways to go here right now, but um, we'll see. There's a big, big chance that that changes. Um, but bump stocks uh, is an issue that are not going away. And it's an important issue because as we've seen with David Chipman, I think there's a lot of damage that could be done. You know, it's bump stocks right now, but we've all seen them floating the ideas about pistol braces and other things like that as well, right? And I think you and I, if we aren't lawyers, but we read the regulations on what defines a pistol and what defines a rifle. And it seems pretty clear that a pistol brace is not a buttstock. Now, I did talk to one of our lawyers about the bump stocks, and I asked, well, so what's the status of bump stocks? Because we were getting some inquiries about this. And the way I understand it, I'm not an attorney either, but the way I understand it, that these rulings just basically send these cases back down to lower courts. Bump stocks are still not legal right now, but this is an issue that's just working itself out. So I don't think you're going to find bump stocks legally for sale out there at this point. It's still an issue that needs to go through some more court rulings, and we'll just see how that turns out. I I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. 
No, uh, I think we've got some judicial ping pong left to do on this bill before we get to an answer. Uh, We'll see if it ends up at the Supreme Court. But as you know, their docket is set for this session. So it's got a little ways to go here. So uh, what about other states? Uh, Is there any activity going on uh, with any of our neighbors? Uh, There's a little bit going on. You guys in Ohio are one of the few states that have a a year-round legislature, but there are a couple other ones out there working right now. And of course, we're uh, involved there and continuing to try to advance legislation. Two of the states still in right now are Wisconsin and Michigan, so pretty close to you. In Wisconsin right now, we've got a bill in committee that would... um, create universal recognition of concealed carry permits. So that that's a big one in terms of reciprocity and people being able to move freely around the country with their firearm. Uh, and in Michigan, they actually just passed out of a House committee a bill to reduce the penalty for carrying on an expired license. Now, I think we all have had things expire on us one way or another. It kind of happens in life. Um, we all try to stay as current as possible. But in Michigan right now, there's a pretty severe penalty for forgetting. If you forget, you're looking at a felony. So they're trying to fix that and make it civil and just make it a $330 fine as long as you're within one year and are still eligible for that. I, I just want you to repeat that. You're saying in Michigan, if you're carrying on an expired license, that's a felony? That is a felony currently. Is there any, um, like a grace period or is it just immediately a felony like the next day? It's the next day, which is why we need to fix this. Wow, it's it's expired is expired. So this gives you a one year grace period. So if you realize within that one year, that gives you time. And let's remember, this isn't always on the individual. Sometimes the agency or that issues the permit can be behind on getting you your renewal. So someone, nobody should be put in a spot where they feel like they can't carry because of a paperwork delay or accidentally forget and be faced with a felony when they're still completely eligible to have the permit. You know, they're still not a prohibited person. So it's much more reasonable that if, you know, it's within one year of your permit expiring, you're still eligible, then we're just going to reduce that from a penalty to a civil fine of $330. Are other states, John, having the same problem that we are? Because last year we had a serious issue with our sheriff's offices. They have not caught up yet. So um, are other states having the same issue where, you know, all the, the shutdowns and, and and all of that, uh, you know, spikes in, in buying guns and so on? Is, is that an issue in other states as well? Yeah, it's an issue across the country when you combine the huge spike in sales and applications of concealed carry permits with the fact that a lot of these sheriff's offices were either shut for some period of time during this uh COVID pandemic, or we're just understaffed because they had people on quarantine, out sick, whatever it is. It's a big backlog that's going to take a while to move. And actually in Illinois, where I also work, they have um, a firearm owner identification card, FOID card there. So you got to have a little driver's license just to own a firearm. And there are folks that we hear from uh, at NRA that say they've been waiting over a year to get their renewal. Oh, wow. And so that's, um, Illinois is a bit of a different case though. They had this problem even before COVID. So some of that's intentional. They choose where to send money. They choose where to send resources, but these kinds of games and problems, whether it's politics or pandemics, they're all unacceptable delays and people, people being able to exercise their rights. And, and a lot of that's, a lot of that's coming out of Chicago, right? I mean, like oh. the, the, the most corrupt city government anywhere in the country. 
Absolutely. You can't go ahead and legally get yourself a FOID card within a year, but if you get in a shootout on the street, as long as both sides are shooting at each other, it's called mutual combat. And I guess that's just everyone. I, I read that. I read that article that they're, they're, you know, arresting people or charging people who are otherwise law abiding, but, but you have a, a shootout, two people shooting at each other and they, they're calling it mutual combat and they're not charging them. Shooting at each other with modified automatic weapons. You know those Chinese uh, Glock adapters that were on the market for a while that you maybe seen stories popping up? Those are all over Chicago. A lot of people are turning their Glocks fully auto with these little Chinese component kits, and they're having straight-up gun battles in the streets all over the city. And uh, as long as somebody's shooting back at you, I guess that's totally fine. <laughs> I have, a, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. You know, all these cities wanting to defund police and they're wanting to pass new laws to impact us. We're not having shootouts in the street, but the people actually out there doing violence, they're okay with that. I, 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 don't, I do not get that. I mean, that, that goes beyond politics. That's just stupid. Oh, yeah. It's it's beyond stupid. It's so hard to wrap your head around this just callous disregard. These people, especially the one we're just talking about here in Chicago, it was done in broad daylight in a residential neighborhood. Yeah. Children die every day in Chicago. And those people that commit those crimes are hardly ever caught. If they are, they're not prosecuted. They're back on the street within a few hours. Meanwhile, if your FOID card expires and you can't renew it and you're caught with a gun... They're going to throw the book at you. Yeah. A felony for not having a piece of plastic, but you're good to go actually shooting people. Free yeah. pass for the OK Corral. Unbelievable. Well, John, is, uh, is there anything else going on that we should know about around the country? Well, we're heading into election season uh, in a couple of states. You know, it's an off year. So there are only two states that have elections now, and that's uh, Virginia and New Jersey, which is been decidedly anti-gun for quite a while, but Michael Bloomberg has reared his head uh, here in Virginia again and is pledging a minimum of $1.8 million to keep pushing his gun control agenda. And that's on top of multiple millions he spent last time here. So I think uh, people need to be aware as quickly as he fizzled out of the presidential primary, the man still has a lot of money and a lot of desire to feel important. Yeah. How much money did he drop on the last election? Was it like... Was it like a billion dollars? Uh, I'm not sure if it was that much. He pledged doing something like that. He always comes up a little short, you know, <laughs> not a height joke. Either. Well, I, I, I got, I got to say, I'm, I wish him good health. And the reason that I say that is my, my worst fear with Bloomberg is that he's going to pass away. And in his will, that he's going to leave a huge chunk to all of his gun control groups. So... You know, as much as we dislike what he does, you say your prayers for his good health, because when he goes, a lot of that money, I think, is going to go to some gun control groups. Can you imagine what Everytown or Giffords or some of these guys would be doing? The, you know, they would just go on steroids of what they've been doing right now, buying politicians. I mean, you look around the country, too, to Bloomberg. A lot of these first-time elected people that get in, one of the first bills they introduce is gun control legislation. And some of these things are verbatim from things that Bloomberg's 
done. It's, it's pure pay-to-play politics. Here's a bunch of money. I'll get you an office, and right away, you start running this stuff. It's one issue, and he's all about it, and he exerts that control. You didn't get to be that rich by not kind of pushing people around. Well, I hope he's in good health. I hope he stays around. I hope he lives to 100, John. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's got to hit 150. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, John, I appreciate your coming on the podcast again and updating us on what's going on in other states and around the country. Look forward to seeing you continuing to uh, help us work on constitutional carry here in Ohio and that emergency bill, which, by the way, in that same hearing where we were the other day, passed out of committee. That's another important bill. So we continue to see progress locally. And hopefully we can get constitutional carry this year before the holidays. Let's hope so. We've got the pedal to the floor. We're not going to stop. And uh, we appreciate everything that your members and others have done in terms of reaching out to their legislators and letting them know exactly how important this is. So we've got a real opportunity here. We'll keep pushing on it. And thanks for having me. And I'm sure I'll see you in the Capitol. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dean. Bye. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.